But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said to the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son. He gave him the name Jesus. Amen. So glad to be here this morning. The service has just been tremendous. Um, it's amazing to see how God is at work in this community. And it's, it's just a blessing to me to be, be able to be up here. And the crazy thing, it seems like God always does this, the things that, that we've been hearing about and experiencing this morning, I feel like it's been a lot of uh, what I've been thinking about this week. So it's awesome how God is, is at work. Um, so a, a little more of a bio, Andrew did an awesome one, and I'll, I'll expand on it a little bit. Um, so I'm from uh, Rhode Island originally, so from uh, conception to, to 18, you guys didn't even know all that. Um, I, uh, I was in Rhode Island, so I grew up uh, in, in Barrington, I was born a few miles from here, and uh, lived initially in North Providence, so it's great to be back. Um, my, as you know, my family, we get a picture of my family up there, yes, yeah, so this is my beautiful family, so there's my beautiful, very talented wife, Lisa, who's in the front row, my dad just clapped her, he's up there too, um, so Lisa, and those are our three kids, this was the one where, I, th I think this is where they're the stillest, right, getting three kids to take a picture, where they're all looking at the camera and smiling, is pretty awesome, and Peter does, Peter moves a lot, so he's a little blurry, but you get the idea. Uh, we absolutely love this season. Um, we've, we've been able to, to start some family traditions. We resist doing any Christmas music or putting up any decorations until the Friday after Thanksgiving. But that morning we get up, I get all the stuff down from the attic, we go to Home Depot, because we're not, we're not like, go out and cut your own tree, we're not that adventurous, but that's cool. Um, and we get our tree, we decorate it that day, and then it's Christmas music until, until Christmas. And, and it's been great to walk through that with our kids and, and see them kind of grow in the, really the wonder of the season. But I've found myself, that in certain ways, feeling tension with, with the season of, of Advent and really the Christmas season as our culture does it. You know, the second day of Advent on December 2nd, 14 people were killed uh, in, in San Bernardino, California. And, and we're entering into the season where where, uh, you know, Santa, like happiness, and I don't know where the bells are, but yay, like, right? Um, you know, I was reading the Nutcracker with my kids the other day, and in the Nutcracker they go into this magical land of sweets, right? And it, Christmas can kind of feel that way from, from our society, is that, oh, it's this magical, beautiful winter wonderland, though it's like 60 degrees, which is weird, um, but we're in this, like, land of, of sweets. And sometimes even the way that, that we experience Advent can be that way, right? So my kids, they have this really cute little uh, Advent nativity set, right? With Jesus and a bunch of animals, and it's super cute. Can we put that up there? I took a picture, it's so cute. There you go. 
Alright, isn't that sweet? Isn't that so sweet? They're like chubby, and there's Jesus who for some reason is blonde. I don't Anyway. Um, and the, the angel, which is, who's also blonde. Um, right? And, and that's, sometimes I feel like, it can feel kind of irrelevant, right? The sweet, chubby Jesus with those great plastic toys that kids can chop on and uh, not swallow and things like that. Right? Like, these things, are, these things are great. It's good for kids. We have lullabies like, away in a manger, right? Away in a manger, no crib for a bed. Little Lord Jesus lays down his sweet head. The cattle are lowing, the baby awakes, but little Lord Jesus, no crying he makes. Have you ever been around a newborn and just woken up, right? I mean, they scream their heads off. That's how they survive, right? And so we have this tension that we live in during the season. We live in a world where currently there are 56 armed conflicts uh, happening. And we live in a country where there's tremendous wealth inequality where we've been hearing so much about uh, police shootings. Um, I work with college students and just the issue of sexual assault on college campuses. And, and we know these things in our lives, right? We've lost loved ones this year, and it's so painfully obvious in the holidays when people aren't there. We have family who are sick. Some of us are, have lives that are just in turmoil, and we're walking with people whose lives are, are falling apart. We have financial stress. Jesus doesn't come as this sweet, plastic baby, right? He is God with us. He, he comes to us, to, to a family, we'll talk about this, to a family who, who is marked with, with shame from the very beginning. He comes being born to the family, this family that is alone, right? Living or being born in, in, a, in a stable where animals so what it means that love has come near is that God is with us. And the central thing that I want to drive home this morning is that God makes himself vulnerable for us. You know, the Bible doesn't answer a lot of the, the questions that we ask the way that we ask them, right? So where does evil come from, right? You can get that answer from the Bible, but, but I found that it it doesn't always answer those questions. But one question it does answer is what is love? So can we put that, that first John verse up there, little passage? Okay, so this is from a, a letter that's later in the Bible. So we're talking about love today, so I felt like, oh, it would be good to define our term. It's always helpful. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. Super simple. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent, can we go back? <laughs> uh, his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. Okay, next one. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. This is love. This is the definition of love, that God comes into the world as Jesus, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the Trinitarian God, enters through Jesus into our world and dies for us. That's the atonement and the incarnation. God being incarnated, right? Carnate, putting on flesh. And, and atonement, at one minute, how we become one with God, how the gap between us and God is bridged. 
You know, as I read and meditated on this Matthew 1 passage, it, it just, it shows, I believe, what this looks like, right? What this passage looks like, what it means for God to be loved and to come into the world. Uh, my, my family used to read at our big family Thanksgiving, we'd read uh, the Luke version, so the Gospel of Luke, which is another book. It has a, a similar complementary version of, of the, uh, the birth of Jesus narrative. Uh, what I've loved about the Matthew version is, is it's like, it's a little, it's a little more PG-13, right? I mean, you have, like, conception, and they came together, right? Hint, hint, right? Consummation, right? This, this is real. Not that the Luke story isn't real, but it just drives home the fact that these are real people dealing with a real problem. We actually saw that in the video with the kids, right? Like, how does Joseph, like, learn that Mary is pregnant? That's a little bit weird. Anyway, so let me give a little context for this this morning. Mary is probably a young woman, not as young as the video, but um, she's probably in her early teen years, maybe like 14. Uh, Joseph, people say that he might be older, but we're really not sure what age Joseph is. She and Joseph probably didn't know one another very well. They had, didn't date probably in an arranged marriage um, where Joseph's family paid a price, paid a bride price uh, to, so that he could marry Mary. Don't judge, different culture, right? Uh, Mary would have brought um, assets into the marriage, um, a dowry into the marriage. This is important. Her parents would have made this uh, agreement for their marriage. Um, so when the text says that they, there's a, Joseph is Mary's husband, it's not exactly how a husband in, in the sense that we think about it nowadays. It's somewhere between engagement and marriage. It's this thing called betrothal. And, and this is a period where it, it's, it's serious enough that you need to get divorced, right? So divorce has to happen to break a betrothal, but still they haven't consummated their marriage yet, right? So somewhere in between. So we have this story of uh, Mary, who we learn in Luke has, has heard from an angel that the Holy Spirit will overshadow her and that she will become pregnant by the Holy Spirit. And uh, this presents some problems. You just think about what, what that conversation was like between Mary and Joseph, right? It's like a, uh, yeah, yeah, who is it? Uh, hey, it's, it's Mary. Um, can I come in? Oh, sure. Uh, sure. What's up? Well, funny story. Um, I heard from this angel that appeared to me that, uh, that I'm, uh, I'm pregnant. And uh, it's from the Holy Spirit, so there's no other guy involved, right? Right, sure, angel, okay. Um, but in that day, Joseph had a real decision. It, it seems like from the text he doesn't, well, we don't know that Mary said that, right? It says that she was discovered to become pregnant. And Joseph, uh, if Mary had had an affair, he, he would have had to divorce her. And in the law of the day, both the Jewish law and the Roman law, Joseph was required to divorce her. Actually, the Roman law, uh, he would be seen as soliciting a prostitute if he married her. And this spells a really certain doom for Mary in a lot of ways. It's hard to be a single parent nowadays, right? But back then, Mary 
couldn't earn any money. She didn't have the ability to go out and get a job and earn money to support herself and this baby. And, and so Joseph, though he feels, it seems like he feels bad for her, right? Um, he has to do something. He has to divorce her. He decides not to sue for the bride price and the dowry, right? He could do it publicly and shame her, but just to do it quietly. And then, after he has decided all this, an angel appears to him and says to him, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Now, Joseph would have been afraid because even if he had stayed, I mean, what are people going to think if he stays married, if he gets married to Mary, right? They're going to think that, oh, this kid is Joseph's, because nobody in their right mind is, in that day, is going to marry someone who's pregnant by another man, right? And so the rest of his life, the rest of Mary's life, and the rest of Jesus' life, everybody would know that they didn't wait until they were married. And that would be extremely shaming. Right? They'd have this mark of shame on them for the rest of their lives. And God enters into that, even in the womb, right? He, he enters into human pain and human shame. This is real love. This is God coming to these people that are in this just really difficult situation. You even see it in the, the kids' video, right? Like Mary coming to tell Joseph and the baby being born and they show the animal poop, right? I mean, it's just like this is real stuff. So I've been meditating on this image. Can we go to that, that painting? Um, that I just really love. Different than a lot of the other images we have on nativity, certainly than the plastic, cute little, little people in nativity. There's Joseph, right? He's sitting there stunned. And overwhelmed. And there's Mary, after having given birth, she's in this awkward position, but she's so tired that she's asleep. And there's the baby on the floor. And each of them has this sense of loneliness about them. You know, Mary may have been in labor for 36 hours. Mary carrying this baby for nine months and not really knowing if she necessarily would survive the pregnancy, right? Like, it, it's not like in our day, pregnancy is still a dangerous thing, but we have medical technology, and um, so it's pretty safe. But Mary, she's been assured that the baby is going to be important, so he'll survive. But she doesn't know. And she's going into labor. Maybe she had a midwife. Maybe it was just Joseph, who had probably had no idea what he was doing, had never seen Mary naked before. I mean, this is like all these things that are happening here, right? This is real love. This is visceral love. This is God entering the mess of our world. This is a baby born to this couple alone. And I love this because it's kind of, it seems like, you know those things you get at, if you're at Whole Foods or a takeout place, right? And there are these like little, you put your salad in them or your sandwich or something. It seems like that's what Jesus is, is in, right? Man, the creator of the universe enters into that place. And one commentator put it this way, that in this Matthew is inviting us to consider and worship the God who accepted the ultimate vulnerability, born as an infant to poor and humiliated parents into a world hostile to his presence. The Jews were, were an oppressed people. They were dominated by the Romans who actually required Jesus' family to go 80 miles just to be counted for a census, right? He's born into, into oppression. And this is God who's come into the world. 
I have to read what my, my wife wrote. She wrote this, this amazing, amazing blog that you should all read. And uh, she's pretty good. Uh, she wrote this. He came to us not as a celestial being, some intangible force of supernature. No, he came as a newborn through blood and membranes, placenta, vernix, discharge, feces, and he left his life in much the same way. And that was the plan, wasn't it? That was the beauty of it. Jesus, God himself, wasn't too lofty to be bothered with us messy humans. He became one of us, coming through the same bloody avenue, dropped into this world, wailing, suckling, spitting, soiling, crawling, tumbling, bleeding, dying. Love doesn't remain far off. Love gets itself dirty. And my addition is, love makes itself vulnerable. Vulnerability is the essence of love. It's the essence of God's love. And it is the essence of what it means for God to send his son into the world to be an atoning sacrifice for our sins. But why? Why do it this way? When God is God, I, I, sometimes I think of the Sultan in Aladdin, Aladdin, right at the end, he's just like, I can change all the rules, right? <laughs> uh, so you remember. Anyway. Uh, so there's this Danish philosopher that I really like uh, called Soren Kierkegaard. We're going to name our kid Soren, but our last name is Ober. And that doesn't really go Soren Kierkegaard. Uh, but anyway, I really like Soren Kierkegaard. And he tells a story in one of his books. He, he imagines a king, a very powerful king, uh, who's in this castle and uh, he's got a lot of wealth. He's in love with a peasant woman. Well, this king is in a really tough situation because he can't bring the peasant woman to, uh, to, his, to his castle in order to marry her because what the king really wants is, is to know her and to be known by her. And if he brings her to the castle, she's just going to see him as king and not as the person that he actually is, right? And she won't interact with him as king. On the other hand, he could pretend to be a peasant, right? Put on peasant clothes, go out and, uh, and pretend to be a peasant and marry her that way. But then he'd be deceiving her. Then he'd be pretending to be something that he's not. And you see where this is going. That the king is in an impossible situation, but God is moving the makes. God can come into the world not pretending, not pretending to be poor and lowly, but actually becoming human, giving up the privileges of being God and becoming a human being who is nevertheless at the same time God. That is the only way. And he couldn't come as a king, right? He had to come as the lowest of the low, a baby born to parents bearing a mark of shame. Born in an animal, put into an animal's feeding trough. It's the only way that he can know and be known by humanity, have that true relationship. And that's from the very beginning, the essence of God's love. What it means for God to create the world, an omnipotent being, to create beings who have the freedom to say yes and no to him who have the freedom to disobey a command that he gives. God asks Adam and Eve a question. 
some preacher pointed out, God asks a question. This God who knows everything, who created the entire universe outside of time, he asks them a question. And now he comes as a vulnerable baby. God's love is vulnerable for our sake. And what I mean by vulnerability is, is being susceptible to physical or emotional. It's the dictionary definition. It's always lame to use the dictionary definition. Um, but God being susceptible to physical or emotional harm or attack. And that's, coming as a baby, there's nothing more vulnerable than coming as a baby. And that's the essence of human love too, isn't it? This idea that we need in order to be in a relationship, a true relationship with someone, we need to become vulnerable. So I've been married for seven years now, um, and uh, I had to look at the head now. Um, I'm really, really bad at being vulnerable. And the hardest thing that I've had to learn in my marriage is, is to be able just to learn to be vulnerable. And that's every time I've seen Lisa and I take a leap forward in our relationship it is when I've and she have reached a new level of honesty and vulnerability. I'll never forget that this intervarsity meeting that I, I went to, it was a training, and uh, I was there, you know, I don't know, I think we were thinking about fundraising, and I was having all kinds of issues, and, and I told one of my mentors, told him the trouble that I was having and the, the struggles that I was having, and, um, and I realized in the moment that I never, ever told anybody those things, right? And his question to me was, why are you so alone. Why are you so isolated? Why do you have to protect yourself in this way to put up these walls to other people? And that's, that's what we struggle with in a city like Providence, right? Where we have social media and it's like, we all have that feeling of we're out there, right? We, we've like created this image for ourselves, but we're not, we're not really known as ourselves. So we're lonely and, and isolated in a lot of ways. And so that is, in essence, not, a, not just of God's love, but of human love, is becoming vulnerable to someone else. But there's something deeper than God becoming human so that he can know us, right? So you remember the end of that verse, that God came to be a, an atoning sacrifice for our sins. So what it means for God to come into the world is, is not just for him to be vulnerable so he can know and, and be known by us, right? That's the same. But, but actually, the metaphor of God contracting the disease of humanity, God becoming human, and actually taking on the fight that we have against evil and the brokenness in us and the brokenness in our world. One way to think of that I think about it is like God getting Ebola, right? Like God comes into the world and he takes on all that sickness that we have. And the only way to inoculate us is actually to take on the disease and to overcome it in himself. And that's, I think, what God's vulnerability is about. That two-part, coming into the world so that we can know him and that he can heal us, that he can overcome from within the things that afflict us as human beings. And this, in a lot of ways, is what makes Christianity so much different than all other religions in the world. That God doesn't just appear to be human, but God comes and actually is a human. 
And that God values this world. He doesn't want us to escape it. He doesn't want to destroy it. But he wants to restore it. He wants to redeem it. So as I've been thinking about this this week, um, I've been thinking about uh, what this means for us. Advent talks about these these ways that God has come near and the the things that have come near. And just thinking about what it means for God to be vulnerable and to come near us as a baby and love is wonderful and and beautiful. And as I thought about it, um, I think really there are kind of two ways. The first is is our response, right, in in how we relate to God. Prayer that I was reading this morning talked about us letting God into, preparing ourselves, preparing like a mansion for God in our hearts, right? Beautiful, beautiful mansion. Like how are we getting ourselves ready for the coming of Jesus at Christmas time? But I find it, I mean, it was a great prayer, meaningful, but I, I find it really difficult to feel like I'm preparing a mansion in my heart when there's just so much crap that I deal with. And, and I'm sure Jesus wants to enter into a beautiful place, right? But I, I actually think that the places where I need to open the door to Jesus are not the mansions. They're the porta potties They're the filthy things in my life that, that need cleaning. They're not the things that are all, you know, decorated and beautiful. And that's what that image just reminds me. That Jesus comes into the filthy places. And then I was thinking, well, what does it, what does it mean for me not to let him in? Andrew, uh, Andrew encouraged me to get as close to crying. I think he said if you can cry on stage that he did. So I already cried today. Um, and I actually cried earlier today. I cried I like really actually uh, as I was preparing and thinking about this. Um, with, with the realization that God accepts and wants all of me, and that I can be truly myself with Him. I can be truly open and truly vulnerable. And He's not only okay with that, it's what He wants. Now, now He doesn't just accept it, that, you know, the things that are, I do that are damaging to me and to other people. He wants to redeem and transform them and make me into the person He always wanted me to be. And as I thought about that, I thought about the place in my heart, that kind of, you know, porta potty door that's closed, and I'm like, God, you can't get in there, really is, is regret. Um, so I have this friend who, uh, who died while I was in grad school. Um, he lived in Rhode Island, and uh, he was sick for, for a while. I, didn't, I lived in Boston. Man, I regret so much that I wasn't there for him. We were really close, and I just, I'll do it later. I'll go see him at some point, whatever. Yeah, I regret that. I wish I had been there for Matt. I, I, I regret the, the, the jokes that I made at, at a family member's expense that, that has led to a broken relationship that is broken. It just, it feels like it's going to be broken forever, right? And that's the place and, and why I don't let God in there, I think there are a few reasons. First of all, I just, I'm like, kind of, what, what can you do about that? Right? You don't have a time machine. Right? You can, I can go back in time and, like, not do what I did and do different things, right? Like, I just feel stuck. Like, God doesn't have the power. 
And, and I think also, the struggle that I have is, God, do you, how much do you care about that? Right? Mistakes that I have made, right? Is this something that you, is this a place where you really want to go? And then finally, I think it's, I don't want to show you that. I'm too ashamed of that part of my life. I'm too ashamed of that person that I was, those things that I did. It's too dirty. It's too messy in there for me to let you in. But what I realized is, as, as God knocks on those doors, he doesn't force me to open it. He reaches his hand out, and he says, I'll open it if you'll step away. And we'll go in there together, and we'll work on this. And that, I think that's what, what made me break down really today, is realizing that I don't, I have shame about letting him into those places, but that's actually where he wants to be. And when he came as a baby, he showed that. And in his life, constantly going up to people who needed healing, reaching his hand out, offering himself, and finally dying in order to enter into those messy places in our lives. So that's the question I have for us today. It's what is that? What is that room? What, I was trying to think of the grossest place I could think of. And porta potty and said, like, what is that gross place where we don't want God? And why? Do we not think he's powerful enough? Do we not think he's relevant? Do we not think that he cares? Or are we so ashamed of what's in there that we don't want to show it? Or maybe we just want to hold on to it and stay in that place. But there's another thing. That God invites us, not just to let him in in our response, but actually to respond by becoming vulnerable for other people. We were talking about that a few minutes ago, right? Giving up our money, opening our homes, pouring ourselves out, just as God reaches his hands out to us, us reaching our hands out to other people in vulnerability. This does not mean, this is important, that, that if you're in, abusive, in an abusive relationship or someone has suffered oppression, that that's like a good place and God wants us there, right? That's a lie and that's evil. Like Jesus came in order to fight against those things, overcome those things. But it does mean that we need to be a people who open ourselves to others, that open ourselves to one another in this community, that sacrifice and give up for ourselves. Because Jesus says, greater love has no one than this, to lay down his life for his friend. Nick said earlier today, and I'll end with this, just this beautiful piece, adoration is not a safe word. As we open ourselves up, as we worship God, and as we enter this week, recognizing God who came as Jesus, a vulnerable baby who is destined to die for us, we allow God into those places. Would we receive true hope and true peace and true joy as we receive God's true love that came here 2,000 years ago and comes near each moment of each day? Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your real love. I remember the poem that begins, Batter my heart, O three person God. We ask that, that you would batter our hearts 
that as you reach your arms out to us, and we would open up those places to you where you still need to come into your cleaning, that you want to heal, and that we would be a people of your healing and your redemption, expanding and growing your kingdom of love and of peace and of truth and of hope and of joy in this place. We thank you, God, that you are Emmanuel, God with us.